How you doing? I'm Doug Devaney and you're listening to the Plastic Podcasts, tales of the Irish diaspora, we all come from somewhere else. Find out more and subscribe to us at www.plasticpodcasts.com. You're listening to the Plastic Podcasts minicast, the second half of my interview with Jess Moriarty. As a third generation member of the diaspora, Jess can claim an Irish passport. I wanted to know how she felt about this and both Brexit and its sister in crisis, Covid. Um, so it's interesting that you it's interesting that you bring this up because I've applied for my um, Irish passport um, and that was that was a response to to Brexit I suppose it and it was political in that I I was so angry about Brexit I was so upset about Brexit um, and then also we started talking about um, moving moving to Ireland actually um, so and obviously well, the only way to do that would be if if I had my citizenship on my passport as well so we were hoping we'd be able to get it for the for the children too which I can't but um but still so so yes yeah, so I think you know Brexit was such uh it was it well and still is you know such a disruption you know you're talking about the, the the disruption to Ireland and how actually this is moving away from from unity rather than than unifying and the same in this country as well I think it's been so divisive you know divisive the the, the kind of the tremors that it's sent um, through the country, even, you know, between friends, between family members as well. Um, and I suppose I had this crazy notion that getting an Irish passport and with a view to moving to Ireland would kind of resolve that. And of course, you can't run from Brexit. Um, it is, it, you know, the, 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 the tremors in, in Ireland and the potential damage it can do in Ireland are as, 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 as kind of tangible as they are here. Um, so yeah, so I don't, We've moved away from the idea of moving to Ireland that everything will be kind of green and glowing and happy in 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 a post Brexit Ireland because, as you say, it it doesn't look like that that those pieces are going to work together or, or fit either. Um, but certainly in terms of here, I just feel so much despair about it. I just still have this idea of running away from it all. Is this a country then that you recognise? Um, well, it is a country that I recognise because I've lived in it all my life. So it's a it's a country that I recognise. But I think some of the things that I worried about this country that were kind of um, hidden or there was kind of a facade that was that, that was up, particularly living in Brighton. You know, living in Brighton is a bit like living in a glorious uh, rainbow coloured bubble. Um, and it felt like the bubble had been kind of popped or at least kind of uh, uh, shrunk. Um, after Brexit, because you know, you talk to, to to friends and people in Brighton, you kind of had this sense that maybe Brexit was this thing that this impossible thing, a bit like Trump winning an election in America, for example, and then and then the results come through, and you realise that that actually you're in the mine, you're we're not in the minority, uh, not in the minority, um, but but you realise that actually you know opportunities like Brexit are an excuse to pull down the facade and for people to say and do what they what they really think which is which is often driven um by this kind of warped nationalistic and racist notions which is where i want to come back to this notion of home i suppose um Mm -hmm. because um uh, the, the, um, the the campaign for Brexit was predicated on a notion of sort of like taking back control on this is the, and, and 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 Britain is 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 a home for the British and not for Europe and and all mm-hmm. this sort of thing and, and and so forth. You'd think therefore then that that people would feel more secure as a result, but it strikes me that it's the opposite's true. 
Um, oh yeah, I think completely for a lot of people, the opposite is true. Um, you know, I've got, uh, one of my friends who is Irish living in, in this country and she had comments like, oh yeah, but you're not like them. When people, when she had friends voting for Brexit and she said, do you realize what you're doing? You know, do you realize how that might affect or, um, offend somebody like me to actually have, oh yeah, but you're not like, you're not like, you know, that something that, which is kind of the, the, the precursor to, to most racist statements is just kind of, you know, made people that have lived here, contributed here, uh, been a, a, a really valuable part of the fabric here feel unwanted. Um, it is, it is, it is very, um, undermining and, uh, and does kind of disrupt any kind of, uh, sense of connection or motivation or, or passion to be here or at least to feel welcome here, I suppose. So your visitors, your guests in a country that, that actually is yours. Have you seen that reflected in the, the, the work that people on your course have done? I have actually. Um, and I've just, so I'm editing a, a, a book at the moment on, um, storing, which is called Storing the Self. So it's about how we story autobiographical experiences. Um, and a former student has written, um, a, a chapter where she talks about the effects of Brexit on, um, her identity, um, and, 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 and kind of, you know, this, this undercurrent of racism, which has now become, uh, not so much an undercurrent and, and, uh, and recognizable in her family and, and friends and things as well. And, and how that's made her feel kind of outside this country again, or, or, or a desire to be outside. And that definitely seems to be a, a theme in, in lots of students' works at all sorts of levels. Do you think that's been changed at all or will have been changed at all by COVID? <laughs> that is a very good question because I think COVID has kind of, um, I think it's, it's interesting that, that, that Brexit has, is starting to, to, to gather momentum in the media again at the moment for, for obvious reasons. But I think COVID kind of dominated everything, um, for so long, understandably, because, you know, it hit people in, 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 in kind of, in personal ways, in health ways, in politically, uh, uh, vocationally, you know, every kind of, of, of aspect of, of, of their lives, it kind of hit them. So, um, so I think Brexit was shelved, uh, and we can talk politically and ideologically uh, about that and who's running the media and stuff, but, um, I'm sure that's all been said before. Um, yeah, so I think that has made a difference. The thing is, is though that, um, we've had, uh, the notion of home kind of like uh, narrowed down to a certain extent by, by by COVID because because people have been forced to like stay wherever they are uh, for quite some time and so their their, cons their consideration of what home is it's like yeah uh, if it's a place um, if it's family if it's if it's friends if it's a if it's a sense of sense of wellness or a sense of being or or, or whatever it is is kind of being magnified and I think that's that, that is potentially you know, because uh, one of the, so, so there aren't huge positives about COVID because of course thousands and thousands of people, um, have died and millions of people have been affected by it. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna kind of, um, downplay or undermine any of that. But from my personal experience, actually, I live in a really lovely place. Um, I have, uh, fantastic children. I have a very good, um, kind of, you know, family, uh, relationships. So, so, so actually, you know, that time in COVID, gave me the opportunity to feel very grateful for my home, my home, like right in front of my face now. But again, in the aftermath of Brexit, um, it, 
again, that, that notion of home and, and what this country is was put under the microscope. So, 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 you know, thinking about the NHS or, um, how, um, the government looked after vulnerable people, uh, how it will affect people for, for what this country will look like, what the, the kind of landscape, not, you know, the, the job market, the house market, people's health and lives and how they looked after and, um, just people's respect for vulnerable lives as well. You know, for a long time to come, that is not in a, I don't see that as being in a positive place. On one hand, you know, the idea of people going out and clapping for the NHS, well, well, that's great. But I think, um, unfortunately, there hasn't been a much of a backlash against the government in terms of how they dealt it and how they looked after vulnerable people. And so the time in COVID gives you a chance again to put that under the microscope and think about, um, your notion of home and, and your, your, your sense of pride and, and belonging in the country where you live. And for, for me, you know, that was problematic again. And what is your sense of home? I think on an optimistic day, my sense of home is that I live in Brighton. Um, and, uh, and that I have a very lucky, happy, healthy family life. Um, that the country that I live in is not at the moment uh run by the people I would I'd voted for or or chose to run it but I still decide to live here you know I didn't I haven't uh moved even though we kind of talked about it and fantasized about it during covid we are still here with with no immediate plans to leave so but that that does as it does for for, for you know millions of people cause attention and on a on a pessimistic day Oh God, on a pessimistic day, I hate it all. On a pessimistic day, I don't want to turn on my phone or, um, or, or look at my laptop, uh, because, you know, working in education, um, the experience of students, um, I find very, really worrying. I mean, as soon as you introduce fees for students, cars for an education, that's already worrying. Throw COVID into the mix as well. Again, potentially, um, that is difficult. And I know all my colleagues in, in higher education and, and at Brighton are working really hard to make sure um, that students do still have a fantastic experience, but of course we're we're all worrying about their safety and their health, and that does change the the playing fields in in higher education. Um, and and yeah, I feel really really sad for for the dismantling of the NHS and and that the Conservative Party have been responsible for that, uh, uh, have then been out clapping and using that as a publicity opportunity and things too. The reason why I asked that and the reason why we've, we've done both positive and negative there is that it's essentially what's, what's been described as the diaspora experience only now writ large for everyone, I think. It's that sense of having a foot in each country but uh, a home in neither. And this sense of home is very, very fragile. And it's you know that, that's been thrown into relief again by, by, by recent events, I think. And I think, you know, because obviously that was my grandparents' experience as well, a kind of a, 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 a foot in both camps. Um, and I do still think that home for them was in the people that they loved and, um, and, and their community as well, whether it was their kind of their neighbors on the, the estate or the, 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 the mad aunts or whatever else as well. And having the opportunity to, to talk through their experiences in Ireland and in this country as well, that, that made them feel sure about themselves and their identity and where they belonged. So the sense of home is, if, if, if it is fragile, then is kind of strengthened by, by, by telling stories. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because I think, you know, storytelling deepens our connections with other people. It connects us to people. It makes us not feel isolated and alone. It reminds us that, that you know, other people share some of our experiences and also it, it kind of gives us a stronger sense of self. So when we feel lost, when we feel like, where do I belong? Am I happy here? What What is the point of, of, of being here, uh, then, 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 you know, it, it's those conversations that, 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 
that can refresh us and remind us. Do you think people are more or less likely to share stories just at the moment? I mean, for one thing, you know, so actually going out in public and sharing a story is, you know, whether whether it's performance or... Another hideous thing that the government has encouraged us all to get back to the pub, but not to the theatre. Um, I mean, hurrah for, for going to the pub, but, but, but let's have some support for the arts as well. Um, I think it's both, isn't it? Because obviously COVID encouraged, inspired um, this massive outpouring of creativity. So people wanting to capture their experiences with COVID, whether it was through short films or poems or stories or images. Um, so, 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 you know, people were using that to, cap- to capture experience with these times and, and to, to kind of connect with people usually through social media or Zoom meetings and, and things like that. And then for other people, it had a massive effect on their creativity and also on their, their well-being, which, which often means they find it difficult to create and make or even kind of tell people what's going on with them. So, so I think, you know, that, 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 that that's kind of been on a, a, a really kind of split thing as well. What would you say to people who, who don't feel as though they've got a story to share? Well, it's really simplistic, isn't it? But of course, everyone has a story to, te- to share. It's just a case of where to start and um, how to tell it as well. But again, I think that's where um, dialogue can be really useful. So, so, you know, you know, Doug, you are very good at, at kind of uh, disarming um, people that you're trying to get a story out of at the beginning of a of an interview, which is a, a real knack and a real real skill with people trying to don't tell them my secrets. <laughs> trying to motivate people to feel safe and supported to tell their stories, um, and I think that's it's kind of you know with writing, with getting students to write. Often it's just getting them to 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 write and start telling a story, which will then hopefully lead them to the story that they actually want to tell and need to tell too. I mean, I, I, but I'm in a privileged position here, which is that I get the opportunity to talk to to, to, to friends and indeed strangers and, 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 and people that I've not met before in this fashion and actually have a conversation with them that is denied to me, say, for example, from in the in the traditional way that I would normally do, which is in a pub. You know, I can't chat to a stranger at a bar in a pub and hear their story anymore. I can't, you know, it's like I'm I'm now, so I, you know, I've got to sit at, at table number eight and sit with my requisite number of people in my personal bubble and never so I, have my bubble bounce off of anybody else. And and also, and I think this is a problem um, during COVID as well, is that, of course, for a lot of us, we stopped having stories because there was that Groundhog Day um, experience of, you know, what have you been up to? Well... I've been in a Zoom meeting and I've been for my one hour walk and um, I tried to get a shopping slot um, and I, I stayed, I tried to stay well, you know, that that was kind of for if we were lucky, um, you know, the story that most of us had during COVID, if we were really lucky, I know that a lot of people had horrendous stories and, and uh, tried to hold try to stay alive um but for a lot of the people that i was um communicating with you know our our story did become quite groundhog day and then that stops you wanting to tell a story as well doesn't it when you when you feel it's it's quite a two-dimensional story you're listening to the plastic podcasts tales of the irish diaspora we all come from somewhere else Find out more and subscribe to us at www.plasticpodcasts.com. In the last part of my interview with Jess Moriarty, we discuss the importance of storytelling in its relation to mental health and to Irish women in particular. We also talk about the possibilities for the next generation of Moriarty women. Um, so I think mental health is, uh, is something we're probably becoming more and more aware of affects all of us, you know, 
everyone at some point in their life unless you're unless you're really gifted or I don't know you know you will have you will have a you will have a mental health episode at, at some point it's it's more than likely um it's really we talked about this a little bit yesterday so listening to stories as as I as I used to get the opportunity to which would um often start with a cup of tea and but and and then end with a with a quite hefty tumbler of whiskey not for me I hasten to point out although I used to always look forward to the days when that would happen um and the stories that they would tell uh they had found a way to live with these stories you know they had found a way to to live with some of these stories um that meant that they didn't um have they didn't present with obvious mental health issues and yet now looking back with the gift of hindsight obviously quite a lot of these stories you know you you thought well that, that would have that would have kind of induced some kind of mental health issue and and maybe it was through the kind of the telling and the community um that supported them with that but but obviously then that was you know a culture with the, with a lot of people who you didn't tell certain stories you did keep quiet and and you did just get on with it or make the best of it as my grandmother used to say um and actually, I think probably, um, you know, there's also this thing where we where we do want to hear about um, experiences with mental health. And we do want to hear experiences of people living positively with mental health as well. So um, so 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 so, you know, how do you accept that you will have depressive episodes for the rest of your life? And how do you kind of um, how do you kind of make peace with that, I suppose, too? Um, so, so yeah, so I don't, my sense of it in terms of the Irish diaspora isn't, is, is only based on kind of my interactions with my, um, with, with, uh, with my, with my aunts and my nan, for example, and my own kind of, uh, mental health, uh, too. Um, so yeah, so I'm sorry, that's probably not a very well formed answer for you. That's okay. It wasn't a well formed question. You know, we talked about this a bit because it was in, I was just then when I was thinking it because you were, we were talking about, um, books from the diaspora as well and I remember my nan recommending that I read Edna O'Brien well of course when you read those books although um, mental health issues aren't labeled as mental health issues of course there's a lot of mental health going on there it was interesting that she recommended those books to me and now I think that that is that that is interesting what did your grandmother read oh everything she really was uh, she and and in terms of the theater as well she would go and see absolutely anything as well you know she she and she loved she loved going, and again, she loved she loved going to see everything at the cinema as well. So she, it wasn't that she would only go and see one type of thing. She wanted to. She gobbled up stories, you know. She really did. Um. So, uh. So, 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 so she she recommended me um Edna O'Brien, and she did usually read women um writers, but but she would read anything. Was she gossip? And it's, uh, yeah, um, yeah. She 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 really did love stories. She really did, and she loved telling her own story as well, which I've definitely got from her, as you can tell. <laughs> the last couple of questions. One of which is, um, you talk about um, uh, stories that uh, are being told by 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 past generations to you, and you've got three three children, um, uh, two of which are, are, of whom are what, eleven and nine. What stories do you tell them? I'm just getting to the side now. Uh, where I've where they've started doing a bit of the eye rolling and stuff, and also they tell their own amazing stories. You know, my my son is a is already a, a brilliant writer, and that's not just with rose tinted um, mum spectacles on. He is a, a really skilled writer, um, and I think one of the things they are both really interested in other human beings. So so you know, as as children start to move into that teenage phase, sometimes it can become quite um, 
narcissistic and self-interested as it needs to be to survive being a teenager in some ways. Um, but they generally are very interested in um, other people. And, you know, it's really easy to take them out in as much as you can in COVID in, in social uh, places and for them to talk to people that are older than them or from different cultures as well. And, and for them to be kind of lively, but sensitive and respectful. Um, and I do tell them, you know, my this is a really interesting thing about um, connections and home and identity, isn't it? Because in my daughter, my nine-year-old daughter, I see my Irish grandmother so much. Um, so, so I, I, I felt that I kind of, um, was connected to her and was like her, but I am very much the kind of more tempered, watered down version of my grandmother. Whereas my daughter has come like the full potency, you know, my, my grandmother and then some. Um, and she is unapologetic and she is, um, very she doesn't mind if she sometimes says things that she knows that she has a powerful effect on people so she says to herself I know I'm like Marmite I know some people are going to get me and some people aren't going to get me and that's okay which I never have had you know I'm 42 and I don't have that so 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 you know so seeing that link between her and my grandmother so I do tell her stories about her great-grandmother all the time uh in a way to sort of steer her away from being maybe exactly like her great grandmother, but also to encourage her with how she feels about herself and her identity and her strength and her power too. I call, I call her my, uh, my little witch and I mean that in the most positive way. My grandmother was a, she had this weird pointed finger that went the wrong way that she broke in a, in a bank door. And I used to call my grandmother a witch and I mean it in, in very much the, the, the witch is being powerful intelligent um you know amazing women uh so yes yeah, so so they're definitely two uh witches who inspire me you've been listening to the plastic podcasts with me doug devaney and my guest jess moriarty music by jack devaney find out more about us and subscribe at www.plasticpodcasts.com or you can email us at theplasticpodcasts at gmail.com or you can just catch up with us through Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. The Plastic Podcast is sponsored using public funding by Arts Council England.